Welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. My guest this week is David, uh, better known as Int80 from Dual Core Music. Uh, David is a security practitioner and someone I've rocked out to many times uh, listening to Dual Core at security conferences, a lot of awesome, awesome performances. David, it's a thrill to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Um, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Uh, before we get into the music, and I, I really wanted to talk to you about how you balance like uh, your real life work and the music. And with C64, your partner in Dual Core, you guys have an interesting uh, dynamic where he lives on another continent and you kind of move files back and forth. And we can talk about that for a little bit. But what do you do uh, outside of the music in, in security? You're a security practitioner, correct? Sure, yeah. Um, I work on a red team, so uh, we basically act as external attackers, um, aiming for objectives, uh, trying to essentially make the worst day happen for the target uh, without causing damage or disruption to the business. Are you in-house red teaming or as an external attacker? Yes, I'm, I'm an internal uh, red teamer, so focused inwardly on uh, our infrastructure, um, you know, business processes, and basically going after all the, all the goods that would make the company go out of business. How does that work internally? Um, do you, is it a full black box or do you just set up specific objectives? Does it include like social engineering where certain people have to be tipped off? Like how, how does it work from an internal perspective? Um, currently, at my current employer, it's kind of more of like a traditional pen test setup, and we also the team I'm on also does like some app assessment work, um, which isn't a particular strong point of mine. But uh, I've I've had an awesome time learning new things. At my uh, previous employer, working at Salesforce, we worked as almost essentially completely external adversaries, and so uh, we would write a scope document. Um, the we'd have some point of contact on the target side that would sign off on the on the scope document as as well as like our leadership change or chain and then um, everything was in scope so uh, we would do social engineering we would do uh, physical stuff um, I gave a, a talk with a former coworker of mine savant at DerbyCon earlier this year called full contact recon and it was kind of a methodology that we'd built out for essentially getting a foothold in the environment um, and uh, doing a ton of information gathering, all with like minimal traffic uh, to the target. Right. Based on your experience, when when is a company fully ready for uh, red team exercise? Does it have to be a certain level of maturity in their security department? Does it have to be a certain size? Do you think all companies should be doing their own red teaming or should be hiring external red teamers? I think um, you got to get the basics out of the way first, right? So if you've got your inventory and asset management down and you've got your vulnerability management in place and you've got other core essentials for an information security program in place, then I think it's a good time to uh, start adding red teaming into the mix if you're not already doing it. Um, I think that red teaming should be used across the board. you know, even like the most important decisions should be red teamed. Um, there are definitely principles in play. One of my favorite books is Red Team by Mike Zenko. Um, but uh, he talks about all these different aspects of, of red teaming. And I think that using it to the, uh, to the proper degree and the right way, it can be an incredible security facility. And it should go in tandem with, like you mentioned, all the other things, asset inventorying, uh, uh, your your. Uh, SDL processes for creating whatever you're creating internally. It has to be part of an entire package. Uh, 
versus thinking you can get away with just uh, uh, doing a, a one-time point-in-time pen test uh, at a specific time or a red team at a specific time. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you're not, if you don't have your patch management down, then you're probably not ready for red teaming. Uh, uh, what would you say is, and I know this is like a ridiculous question, but what would you say is the success rate of a typical red team? Do you always get in? Do you always meet the objective? Uh, or, 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 or are you doing this, uh, like for instance, in your internal team, are you doing this over the course of time to basically measure uh, just how harder it is to get in over a period of time to just, gauge the the maturity of your security program uh, or have there been times when you've just not been able to meet objectives yeah so there are a couple questions there um yeah. on the uh question of how long does it take or how successful uh is the red team like what proportion um at salesforce i think we had uh I think we were only detected on two operations that I was on, and that was uh, over a three and a half year period. So we had a pretty good success rate of being able to get in, operate inside the environment, complete our objectives, uh, and then alert detection or trigger detection uh, before um, we were noticed by the blue team. The two instances where the blue team did catch us, we had a... uh, a very small target. It was like four people in an office here in Austin, and I like I actually had to go like to the office physically because they had like almost no attack surface online. Um, and we I ended up uh, planting a device, attaching it to their router, and then we got caught by uh, basically not. We were like DNS hijacking their stuff, and uh, after having rooted the router, and we basically did not provision an adequate adequately uh, resourced EC2 instance to like handle all the DNS traffic. And so they were like really curious why like things were going slowly. And then we were tampering with their VPN stuff. And uh, we had like a whole chain worked out to like call them as the help desk. And they were super paranoid as well. So when we ended up calling them, the guy was like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing anything. And so uh, he like caught us on the router and that was how we got detected on that one. Um, And the other one where we got caught, uh, we accident one of our operators accidentally sent uh, H, uh, HTTP traffic out over 443, and uh, and so it was just like all all of the flags, all the sirens went off for that one. But we successfully converted um, both of those operations into then a purple team operation. Worked with our CCERT and uh, ended up you know walking through the rest of the kill chain, completing the objectives and being able to still diagnose risk for the business. So it was it was still a success, even though we got caught in each of those cases. Um, right, and the, even in cases where you're not caught, there you, you still have to treat that as success as well, because you're pinpointing, uh, you're pinpointing weak spots, and incrementally, you know, over several red team exercises, you're able to just get your, your, your posture much more secure. Absolutely. I mean, that's and then you have to think about it. The other part of the question that you asked was uh, essentially or effectively determining the hardness of the target. And so we derived like a, a scale um, that had various mechanisms in it, like uh, how like how was the, the detection of the target and how was the response of the target. So essentially we would, after having completed objectives, uh, we would then start making more and more noise in the environment and we would monitor that to see how long it took for us to get detected. And so that was like, you know, the the score for the detection component. Um, And then we also monitored things like how long did we stay in the environment after being detected? How hard was it to kick us out? Uh, And so 
when we took all of those scores together uh, and and came up with a final score, that kind of gave the business some idea of where they should be focusing their resources and their attentions. Um, so uh, it's basically like, you know, this is like a huge risk to the business. So we're giving it a higher score. We had some targets that were like, eh, like if this gets owned, like, it's okay. There's not really much there to take anyways. And so, um, we'd give that like a low score. It's like, you know, this other thing is on fire. Please go pay attention to the thing that's on fire. Not the necessarily like super easy target that we were able to like walk in and kick over. Uh, not specifically as it relates to your current or even former employees, but as a red team, is there like a, always an easy way in and help me understand it. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm not a, uh, an offensive hacker by any stretch but is there always an easy way in and do you find uh, there are always specific uh, uh, tactics that you can use uh, i'm trying to get to the sense of what are some common mistakes businesses always make that make red teamers uh, put red teamers above blue teamers sure um I've, i think that it's commonly fairly easy to get in um some some of the targets were definitely more challenging than others but um a common issue is is still password reuse and lack of multi-factor authentication right so uh if you aggregate a bunch of database dumps and then go uh digging in for uh employee contact information right if i can find as many emails as i can about the it administrator or the database admin uh and then i can take all those emails and run them through the database dumps i can convert all of the hashes in the database dumps for that individual into clear text, sort them by how frequently they occur, and then start using those to try to authenticate to authentication mechanisms that might be on the perimeter. So like as an example, we had um, an acquisition that we were doing an operation against. Uh, one, of, uh, one of the operators looked up on LinkedIn like who worked at that company, found the IT admin, uh, went and pulled his information out of the LinkedIn dump uh, crack the unsalted SHA-1 password or the unsalted SHA-1 hash uh, to translate that into the clear text password. Went on Shodan, found uh, SSH open on the perimeter on a particular host, SSH'd in as the employee, the IT admin's username and the password from the LinkedIn 2014 dump, and it was that it was that same password for the employee's work email. Right, and so, so that's a password reuse issue that just gave you an easy. Right, and lack of multi-factor authentication, right? Because if there was like a TOTP or a YubiKey required, we would have been stuck at that point. We would have had to do some extra work. Um, and so, and then because it was the IT admin, we had root already. So it was like 30 seconds and we're like root in the production environment. Um, so that, that coworker and I developed a, uh, a talk together called Full Contact Recon. And it was basically our methodology uh, around gathering information without touching the target environment such that when we go to make our first connection into the target uh it's usually with privileged access how much of that is automated that um, scraping and, and putting together all that uh, uh you know linkedin data matching it against commonly used passwords uh trying to brute force or how much of that is automated versus how much of it is uh, a manual laborious process uh, most of uh, most of it was just hands-on keyboard for us. Um, some of it's automated. So, like you know, aggregating the database dumps is is a manual process, but it's it's easy to like grep through them. Um, 
then uh, like one of the things that I did automate was um, looking for secrets in GitHub commits, right? So every time that you commit something into GitHub, you can always revert to a prior commit. And in early commits of code bases, you'll frequently find that there are hard-coded secrets, right? AWS keys or, or passwords or credentials of some sort. And so it may not be in like the current version that's on their source code control, but if you clone the repository and then go digging through all the prior commits, you can find all kinds of goodness and then use that to move around the environment. So that part's automated, but for the most part, when we're searching stuff online, you know, doing like uh, checking out the like certificate transparency to find like subdomains or um, looking for like email addresses on like hunter.io, that stuff is all like manual. That's all us hands-on keyboard. And it always works. Uh, uh, yeah. My experience talking to guys like you is you'd be surprised at how much of it always works. Yeah. Um, I don't think that, I mean, if you come up against multi-factor authentication, then it's, it's way more of a headache, but um, like 99% of the time, it works 100% of the time. Isn't there also an issue, even when companies implement two-factor authentication, that an implementation error can allow bypasses as well, even if you're not necessarily bypassing, say, Duo or Yubico, uh, that an implementation error can also lead to bypass? Is that something you, you're also digging into? Uh, I don't think that we encountered any particular implementation errors, but we did have a few ways of getting around uh, 2FA. So one was to, once you have a shell on like a user's laptop, for example, an employee's laptop, um, what we would do is SSH back out of the laptop using a, setting up a SOX proxy with like a reverse SSH tunnel. Um, and then we would dump all of the Chrome cookies out of, uh, out of the user's browser. Um, and then we would uh, connect our Chrome instance to the SSH tunnel browsing back out of the user's laptop and play the Chrome cookies back in. So um, what's like awesome about that is you just get all the sessions that are active. So, you know, you have 2FA on Gmail, no big deal. Like we're in your Gmail session now. And because we're coming out of the uh, the victim's laptop, we bypassed all the GOIP checking and, and everything as well. Uh, what are for, let, let, let's say you're a company, you're a CISO, and you're obviously limited with resources. You can't go spending millions of dollars on all the security things. Give me your top three, top four, in addition to obviously implementing two-factor authentication, which you talked about, the top four things you absolutely should pay attention to, these four basic things. And don't say user education or employee education either, because <laughs> that we know hasn't worked. Um, I guess I would, uh, this is actually a tough question for me because I'm, I feel like I don't have a particularly good grasp on information security. I, I'm kind of like a narrowly focused, uh, technical individual. Like I come from like a reverse engineering and like development background. So right, but you're writing a report with mitigation, uh, uh, and remediation guidance. Like what are, what, what are four top three, four common things that you're advising people like guys get this, get these basics together. Yeah, I think like top one for any company is to have centralized logging, right? You want to log all the things so that you can find when bad stuff happens and find out exactly what happened. So centralized logging is huge. Um, man, uh, I don't know, ha like having good a good security team, like having good people that have that the the uh, direction. Um, I think that's also you know a a terrific investment. Um, I honestly, 
I'm not sure how I would spend my money. That's a really challenging question. <laughs> I'm going to punt. Sorry. No worries. No worries. And just along the lines of this red teaming, you also organize Capture the Flags. Uh, is that just an intellectual fun exercise for you or, or, or is this a, a something you just do on the side? Yeah, I'm. Uh, so one of my mantras in life is that I want all the hackers that I can get. Right, I want people to think about things in a different approach. And so, um, if uh, if I can get people into hacking via like a um, a simple, you know, fun, risk-free uh, activity like CTF, I'm all for it. I love uh, making CTFs. Um, I one of my mantras in life is I want all the hackers I can get. And so I think an excellent introduction into hacking is CTF because it's this like risk-free opportunity to, to learn how to hack stuff, right? You, there's like, there's no laws, no rules. Like you, you have permission to, to break these challenges. Um, and I also like the premise of CTF as like a way to teach myself things. So like, for example, like I, I'm not particularly strong at application security and I was like, how does XXE work? And so I like made a CTF challenge that was like access this file in this Docker container uh, inside, you know, using a exploiting XXE vulnerability in a web app that I built. Mm -hmm. And, and so like that was like a flag. And so uh, I, I think it's a, it's a great mechanism for being able to, to learn new things at all experience levels. Um, I, I got to run a CTF recently at Opcode, which is a conference in Dubai, and we had participation from people all across the board. It was amazing. There were like normal looking people there that were just, you know, like jeans and t-shirt. Like you'd be like, oh, that's a hacker for sure. All the way up to like women that were completely covered and like all you could see were their eyes. And I was like, it was incredible. And they were asking like amazing questions. Like uh, they would come up and be like, yo, like, I'm stuck on this challenge. I tried these like 12 different things. I'm like, oh my goodness, man. Like they just like ran down this road of like awesome, like security stuff. And I was like, and it was just, it was, it was an incredible experience. And, and they were like, they're all students. It was like, I think we had like over 50 students pre-register. I think um, maybe half of them or more than half were women. And I think most of them had never played a CTF before. So it was great. Like just getting this inclusion of like all these people that were interested and excited about hacking. What makes a good CTF? Because I've heard players complain uh, one, is, one, one is nice and fun, another one is terrible. What makes a good CTF in your opinion? It's all about the experience. Uh, so you want it to be like a roller coaster ride, right? If it's if it's too hard, it's not fun. If it's too easy, it's not fun either. And so uh, the experience that I'm aiming for when I make CTFs is I want people to be like, yes, like I solved this challenge and they're like on top of the world and they, they're like, they can take on anything and then they load the next challenge and they're like struggling, struggling, and they're like maybe making some progress. And so it's kind of like a sine wave, right? They're like up and then they're down and then they come back up. And and so like when they solve that next challenge, they're back on top of the world again. And they've like learned new things. Uh, I generally build Jeopardy CTFs and uh, you know those are like individual challenges worth uh, a particular amount of points in various categories. And the reason that I do that as opposed to like a network style attack and defense CTF is that I feel like I don't have enough knowledge of systems and system hardening to prevent abuse. If uh, I'm, I'm sure there's like a CTF player in every CTF that I've run that's way smarter than me. And so I guarantee that if they got on a system, they could potentially find some way to like, uh, you know, tamper with the system that would cause the other players' experiences to not be as fun. And so uh, this is like the Jeopardy style is the, the best way that I can facilitate an even experience for everyone.
Yeah, I, I spoke, consistent, I guess. I spoke to a mutual friend of ours, Matt Swish, from Upcode uh, about this Dubai experience, and he was also blown away by it. So uh, that must have been a big win. Uh, he also yeah, he was blown away by participation of women, which I think surprised him. Yeah, it was it was really cool. Like, I mean, it was just a great turnout overall for the conference. The talks were all fantastic. Um, I saw I saw talks about North Korean malware. I saw talks about uh, code like um, code relation and like determining the percentage of shared code in a code base. Uh, like all kinds of cool stuff and and just fantastic participants all around. And a great dual core performance. I heard. Yeah, it was okay. Uh, you know. <laughs> I just got up there and said some words over music. <laughs> Which segues into the other part of our conversation I, I, I wanted to dig into a little bit, if you have some time, is let's get the fun stuff in. Uh, Dual Core is a rap group uh, that is you and a guy called Chris, who goes a C64 out of the UK. Is he in the UK? Yes, yeah. He lives uh, just outside of Manchester. And you guys have kind of created a very significant brand around this nerdcore genre. Do you do you find anything derogatory around the term nerdcore at all or you just embrace it? Yeah, I think it's fine. I mean, it's it's metadata, right? You know, like you I've had people call our music hip hop, I've had people call our music rap, I've had people call it indie hip hop. Um it's you know, the content's all the same, the ones and zeros are all the same in the files. Uh just, you know, whatever the individual listener discerns it as is is their own label and How I have no control over that. Core? Uh, it's hip hop music about nerdy stuff. So, um, for for me, like our flavor is uh, hacking, programming, video games, and you know, tech in general. Um, for other people, it might be comics or uh, anime and and other areas that you might consider nerdy. And I understand you guys have like the really unusual uh, uh, situation uh, in how you record. Uh, Chris makes the beats, and you do the. Yeah, you do the lyrics. How does that work? Yeah, so we, uh, since we're basically a, a continent apart or an ocean apart, he's on the other side of the Atlantic, um, he will send me a bunch of beats that he's made in like lo-fi quality. So they're just, you know, like uh, MP3s. I'll listen through and I'll select whichever ones that seem to resonate with me. Uh, I'll write the songs that um, follow the emotions that are evoked by the individual beats. I'll record all my vocals at full quality, so we save them out as uh, as WAV files, and then I upload those. And Chris imports the original WAV vocals into his original mix of the instrumentals, and so we are, we're able to maintain full quality across the board. You and he's also a security guy. No, he's a graphics designer. He's a graphics designer who just turned to beat. So back up a second. How did you guys meet? Uh, we were on an underground hip hop website years ago, and uh, Chris was posting um, beats that he had made, and uh, and I was just like, man, like I just started rapping, and I was like, this this guy's beats are amazing. I was like, I have to get good enough at rap that I can do a song with him, and that was like my only goal. I just wanted to do one song, and I just wanted to be good enough that he would be okay with me rapping on one of his beats. <laughs> and that's just how you linked up, and you figured out a way to share files, whether it's Dropbox or Google Drive or whatever, and go back and forth and actually make albums. Yep. Yeah, originally, it was a, uh, a host that I had coloed in a ISP that I had done some work for in Cincinnati where I grew up. And so we were just like SCPing all the files up and down off the server. And then 
eventually I decommissioned that server and uh, we ended up moving over to Google Drive, which has also been phenomenal and is super easy to use. And you guys did six albums together. Yep. Yeah, we're uh, working on our seventh. Uh, do you have a favorite? Um, I think they they all stand on their own individually uh, with me because like uh, they're different points of my life, and so I associate like different experiences and different emotions with each one. I am really pleased with how our latest one uh, came out. We released it at the end of last year, at the end of 2017, and it uh, it debuted um, number one at the top of the hip hop charts on Bandcamp, and it stayed there uh, through the end of the year into January. Um, so I, Chris did like an incredible amount of work. He did some research, kind of like uh, revamping his drum work and drum programming, and it really shows and shines through in the new album. Plus, he also kind of he had this vision of like how the album should play from front to back, and he was like, "I'll explain it to you." Like, I, you know, I just want to get the album done, and I was like, oh, I, "I trust your judgment, no problem." Like, we've done five other albums together; everything's been super smooth. And when he when he sent me the final master, I was like, "Oh my god, this is incredible!" So I I do love the the latest album. I also have a music project that I did with a, another IT friend of mine, uh, Michael Kill, and our group for that is called the Troubleshooters. We put out an EP last year, and we're working on a on a mixtape or an album currently. And he also is excellent to work with. We do everything in Google Drive as well. What are your thoughts on piracy? Because I, I, I imagine this would be an issue for you. All your stuff is released online. Uh, do you have a hard and fast rule on, on what you'd prefer? I'm okay with it. I honestly don't care. Like The fact that people enjoy the music that we love making and we do it in our spare time for fun is incredible to me. I mean, it still blows my mind that... I can be at a show and people are yelling out lyrics that I wrote in my free time. Um, you know, computers inherently copy data, right? Like think about the move instruction in assembly. It literally copies bits from one register into another register. So, you know, once anything becomes digital, it's in the nature of computing to make a copy of it. So I'm okay with that. I've, I've accepted that. I've, I've, been pirating for a long time. Like I understand how the internet works. I'm I'm totally fine with it. Uh, I think that at the same time, go buy the music. Yeah, <laughs> or don't. I don't. I don't care. But if uh, I think the thing that's really telling is how amazing our fans are. That you know, I think that our audience, hackers specifically, are probably more tuned to how to pirate things versus probably any other audience that's on the planet. And the fact that they still will go purchase our music and put us to the top of the charts on like the largest indie hip hop or the largest indie music site on the internet is incredible to me. So um, I, I think basically building that incredible, like unique connection with fans is what what puts our music over the top. Um, we just we just happen to have the best fans in the world. And for other content creators who might be listening, there's a free book by Cory Doctorow, or it might be Pay What You Want, uh, but it's called Information Doesn't Want to Be Free, and it's about creating content in a world of piracy where you know, like it's it's the modern age of the internet. Right, and trying to figure figure your way around the realities. Sh sure, and and just like how how the um, traditional mechanisms have shifted and what like what works and what may not work in, in the current day. My introduction to dual core, like I mentioned earlier, was just kind of uh, stumbling into a party at Black Hat or at DEF CON, uh, probably a little too drunk to even like pay attention to anything and just kind of rocking out with whatever was going on on stage. 
And in preparing for this interview, I actually went back and listened to, you know, a, a few tracks from a few of the albums of the years. The freaking music is really, really good um, when you can actually sit and listen to it. One of my favorites is the, the, the newest album is uh, the song for Aaron uh, about Aaron Schwartz. Oh, yeah. Um, where where do you uh, were you always I, I know a lot of rappers or, or hip hop guys come through the the battle area where the the area of just battling and 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 working on your flow and your cadence and all that stuff uh, was was that a part of your childhood? Yeah, so when I started rapping, uh, actually the <laughs> the first rap that I ever wrote was a battle rap. It was uh, I used to program and hack with uh, this other kid on AOL, and so uh, this is how long ago this was. <laughs> and uh, with the CDs. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. AOL 3.0. I, I like I used to write punters and like kick people offline off di- off their dial-up connections. I used to use those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Maybe use one of mine at some point. <laughs> um, but so he and I would just also talk about hip hop stuff as well, because I'd always listen to hip hop. And uh, one day he sent me this email with a verse that he had written about how his code uh, was better than mine and he was like a better hacker and he would then he just continuously bugged me he was like come on like write a response write a response and i'm like no nah, like i don't need to like i already know my code is better than yours and also like i'm not a rapper like i just listen to hip-hop and so he eventually bugged me enough that i finally wrote a verse and it was about how i was a better hacker than he was and i was a uh, you know be- i had better code and so uh that was kind of like my intro to writing hip hop but then uh i was very fortunate at the time or as uh, later in in life uh, in cincinnati we had uh, a weekly night on wednesday nights where there would be uh this dj group would play there'd be break dancers and then there'd be an mc battle uh at the end of the evening and the mc battles were uh you versus one other person and it was three rounds and each round was a minute a piece and it had to be all freestyle and you never knew like what beats they were going to play behind you so you just kind of had to like get your freestyle skills up and so uh, i i battled there like a, a lot and then i started going out of town on weekends before i was playing shows with another friend of mine and we would just go find rap battle tournaments or freestyle battle tournaments and all of those were like a cakewalk compared to having to go three three rounds of a minute a piece freestyle they'd be like you know two rounds and 30 seconds and we could like do that in our sleep so we would just split the money and that it would always cover the cost of going out for the weekend to you know nashville or chicago or indianapolis or whatever city that we went to for the battles so that was that was super fun i i kind of got bored of freestyle battles because all of the battles shifted into the other rappers coming with all these written verses and uh they would be saying things that didn't apply to the situation and it's like really (laughs) when you're freestyling to just like destroy somebody in in that situation so uh i kind of got bored i have well over 100 freestyle battle wins but um my freestyle skills are nowhere near where they used to be these days so if you walked up and tried that's a dedicated skill yeah i would just lose (laughs) today (laughs) Uh, are you are you a, a modern day hip hop fan, and are you yeah. taking influences from uh, uh, what's being played on radio or or some of the newer hip hop stuff? Sure, yeah. I mean, um, I, I guess the question: I, Are we going to get a, a mumble rap album one day? <laughs> you you won't get a mumble rap from me unless I'm like <laughs> supremely intoxicated and just can't even formulate any words. But uh, <laughs> I um, I grew up listening to nineties pop, so there's a uh, there's a lot of that I think you can hear in, in our music, but um, in modern day, I, I, I love Kendrick Lamar. Um, I, there's a rapper that I've been listening to recently quite a bit called Denzel Curry, and he's got some pretty decent tracks. 
you know, some of Drake's stuff I, I really like. So there's there's still a lot of stuff modern day that I that I do appreciate. Uh, what would you say has been the pinnacle of dual core, uh, the highlight of the the group? Um, probably all the time that I get to spend with hackers just talking about stuff is really like I think the big accomplishment. Like um, I used to I used to work really hard to sell merchandise, and uh, it was a great way to like organically seed our fan base. But now I value the time and the conversations that I can have at conferences with people talking about things that I'm working on, talking about things that I'd like interested to research, and talking about things that other people are working on and what, what's worked for them and what hasn't. Um, that's become like far more valuable to me. Uh, as far as like pointing out a particular achievement, I would probably say uh, having our song All the Things in the video game Watch Dogs 2 is probably the, the most apparent one that I can point at to say like we, we did that because that, the game features other top, na top name artists like Run the Jewels, uh, Danny Brown, Aphex Twin. There's just a ton of talent in that game. And uh, on top of that, they actually, in, the, in Watch Dogs 2, there's a cinematic sequence where your character is at uh, Burning Man and I don't think you can actually skip the sequence. I think you have to sit through it. And the like the premise is that uh, nobody's like enjoying the music that's being played or something. And then they uh, hack the DJ booth and play all the things. And wow, so like awesome. basically anybody that plays the game is like forced to listen to our music. It's crazy. <laughs> we, we, and you you guys do a lot of shows. Uh, how, how many shows you you figure you do on a, uh, in a typical year? Uh, we play about 50 shows a year, and so the the structure that I worked out when we started Dual Core was that um, I love hacking, and I I didn't want to have to choose between rapping and hacking. So I wanted like a typical week for me is I'll go to work on Monday, and then like Friday after work or Saturday I'll go to the airport, and then I will fly out and play shows over the weekend, and then Sunday night or Monday morning I'll fly back home and then go into work on Monday. Oh my god, that's insanity. Oh, it's super fun. I, I, it's like the, the meme, why not both, right? Like, I get to do both. It's awesome. Where can people find the music and find out about Dual Core? Uh, if you, I believe for most people, if you Google Dual Core, it's actually the, uh, the top result. And um, we are Dual Core Music everything online. So dualcoremusic.com, at Dual Core Music on Twitter, YouTube slash Dual Core Music, Facebook slash Dual Core Music. And then all of our music is on all of the major platforms. So uh, Amazon, you know, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Radio, Pandora, Tidal, like whatever you use to get music, Google Play, uh, you can find our music on whichever platform, Pirate Bay, you know, whatever BitTorrent tracker you use. <laughs> uh, David, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. Um, it's been a thrill of mine. Do you mind if I, uh, I end the podcast with the Far Aaron song? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and thank you for playing that. And thank you so much for having me. I, I, it's been a pleasure as well on my end. And uh, come say hi to me uh, next time you see me at a conference so we can catch up and I can buy you a drink. I'll see you at DEF CON. Awesome. I'll see you in Vegas. Take right, care. Thanks a lot. Chosen for a talent, like feeling blurry, but no one ever noticed. I was always wide-eyed, but couldn't ever focus. And it was at that moment, awoken to the stream, face all aglow with my coat up on the screen. In the same vein, ashamed that this was all illegal. Just the letter of the law, cause my spirit wasn't evil. Things sharpened up, 
At last I had my vision, but IT security wasn't even a position. Blind to decision, I didn't have a say. Finally find what I'm given, I can't let it get away. minds that ever dared to dream to be honest i'm so angered and disturbed victim of a system but you live by your word betrayed by an act whose billings aren't that clear and gets more outdated as we age another year the world lost a man who defended open speech and suffered at the hands of prosecution overreach before we lose another there's time to stop the bleeding please can we finally get the changes we've been needing so many questions cause a statement we're declaring we had to tell the world this one is for aaron aaron 